so much. God, I thank you that we can come here and talk about the things that we prayed about last week that we saw you fix this week. And God, I thank you for the sicknesses you've taken away. God, the things you've healed for, Lord, for the procedures that you've covered. And, and God, for the blessings that we've seen. And, and God, even in the worst of times, God, that we can still say that you're good, Father. And God, in spite of all things, all situations at all times, you're always good, Father. And we thank you so much. And God, we take this request and lift them up to you tonight, Father. Pray that you'd meet each one, Lord, according to their own needs. And God, I pray you'd take this word tonight, God, from, from your word. And I pray you would teach it to us, God, and help us, Father, that we might learn something more from your word, something more that would, Lord, help us to be more pleasing to you. That is our, our heart's desire, God. To live in that place called the center of your perfect will, God. Will you help us, Father? We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you don't turn in your Bibles, we'll continue our study. The book of um, 1 Corinthians will still stay in chapter 15. I, I, I hope that you have enjoyed this part of the study here in the past few weeks as much as I've enjoyed getting to teach this part of the study in the past few weeks. I'm, I'm not a real good, feel-good preacher. I never have been. Um, if there's a definition, I'd be called an expository preacher. I take something and, and I break down those passages, but I teach the Word as best as I can in context of the Word, the way that it's written. I try not to waver that or change that or even add too many stories in or out in between, but to just teach the Word of God. But sometimes teaching the Word of God... Um, as much as I love the fact that God would even let me do that. Um, for example, when we went through the book of James. James is a very point-blank, in-your-face book. He don't cut corners. He don't hold punches. He ain't worried about hurting your feelings. He ain't never put no sugar on nothing he dished out. Here's the book. Here's the word. Eat it and like it. But when you're teaching through the book of James... Sometimes it takes a few weeks to get through those passages of the law. And I feel like I'm just coming in here and beating everybody up every Wednesday night. But I guess the reason why is because I've been beat up all week before I got here. And I feel like it ought to be doing to y'all the same thing it is to me. And I, I've even prayed, God, you called me to, to preach, and I thank you so much. And, and I don't mind preaching the law. I'd like to preach a little encouragement every once in a while. I mean, your book's encouraging, and it's life, and it's good, and I'd kind of like to get past some of this law. Well, that, this has really been an answer to a prayer for me. This study of the resurrection has been very encouraging. I, I like it. It reminds me, it don't matter what's going on today, there's a better day coming. And so I, I pray that it's been an encouragement for you. I pray that tonight is as well. I love this particular section where we're looking at the different changes, the changes that we'll go through as our body is transformed um, there at the resurrection. Last week I told you that there'd be a change in dimension, how our body would change, how Jesus walked through the door. Now, think about on the day of the resurrection. Jesus saw Mary that morning, and he said, don't touch me, I've not yet been to the Father. And then if you remember a couple weeks before, we talked about how it'd take 900 years at the speed of light, which is 6.8 billion miles per year. So it's 6.8 million billion miles per year. It'd take you 900 years to get to the constellation Orion. And well beyond that, in all the other universes, the third heaven, Jesus went up there and hung out with the Father during the afternoon because it took him that long to get there. So he went up and visited with the Father, but then he come back down and the disciples were in the upper room. 
and they had locked themselves in the upper room for fear of the Pharisees. They knew that at any moment the temple guard was going to come arrest them. They've crucified Jesus. They've killed the master. They've taken the Son of God. They're going to do the same thing to us. So they were in fear of their lives. They're locked in the upper room, and Jesus walks through the door. wonder if that scared them. They thought he was a ghost on the water that night in the storm. I wonder what they thought when he came walking through a door. I was thinking about that, and I think Jesus did them a favor. Because if he would have, they would have been terrified. They would have just known it's the temple guards. They've come to get us. And if they'd have said, who is it? And he'd have said, Jesus, they'd have said, yeah, right. He's crucified three days ago. It's surely somebody out there to deceive us. So Jesus not only didn't terrify them with a knock at the door, but he kept them from doubting because he had clearly told them, but fear not, on the third day I will rise again. So he gave them the opportunity to not doubt by just popping in there where they were. So the question is, how did he do that? He's still in the body. He, he, he's in the same body. He didn't leave it in that tomb. He got out of that tomb. And he's in the body, but he walked through the door. Y'all know how he did that? Huh? Glorified. Yeah, I get it. Same way he walked on the water. Y'all have to stick with I have no idea. I, I, I started studying a little bit of science, and I was studying energy and molecules and that kind of stuff, and I thought, you know what, that's a waste of time. I could be teaching God's Word, but all I figured out, out anyway, I still don't understand it. I got some biology books out and got to looking, and I thought I'd see if I could maybe teach something, and all I learned was I didn't understand it then. I don't understand it now. But I know one thing. After the resurrection, I'm going to be able to do the same thing. That's the part I know. I got something to look forward. I want you to look at the changes here of our resurrected body. I want to look next. There'll be a change. Real quick, um, here in chapter 15, I'm going to begin reading in verse 44. I'm going to read a few verses talking about us. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man of this earth, earthly, the second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthly, such are they also that are earthly, and as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. That's a good one for you to underline and go back and study as we have borne the image of the earthly. That's this body, the one. These two people from the dead. That's three people in the Old Testament. You get in the New Testament, Jesus raised Jairus' daughter. We do it in the Easter play. He, he raised uh, Nain's widow's son, uh, the woman that was married to Nain. Nain had died. Remember how he stopped the, the coffin and the beer, the lad, the beer, B-E-I-R, um, inside, he stopped it, and, and he raised him from the dead. And then Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb. That's three in the New Testament. 
before we get to Jesus. Now, if you take the number three, three is the resurrection. You have the resurrection in the Old Testament. You have the number three, which is the resurrection in the New Testament. You put the two of them together, you have six, which is the number of man. And then you have the seventh raised from the dead of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is completion and perfection that is the resurrection for man. But the Bible says he was the first begotten of the dead. So which is he? Is he first or is he seventh? Well, he is the first and the seventh. I'll give you that. He is the seventh that was raised from the dead. But the first six were buried in corruption, raised in corruption. They still had to die. The first ones was buried in sin and iniquity. They were raised in the same fleshly body. Sown in corruption, sown in a natural body, raised up the same way. So they still had to die. Lazarus had to be loosed from his grave clothes. Jesus just got up and left his laying there. The other six, they were called back from the dead from the outside. Jesus came back with the power from the inside. The others were called, somebody from the outside called and told them to rise. But Jesus said, I have the power to lay my life down, and I have the power to take it up again. I was given that of my Father. So he is the first one to come up in the glorified body. And that's the one that we're going to have. That's exciting to me. We're going to have spiritual bodies. But in verse number 45, we see a change in, in dynasty. Can I tell you that by virtue of our identification with him through the blood, his resurrection will become our resurrection. What he became is what we will become. The text that we just read, Paul talks about the measure of the change, and he talks about the miracle of the change. Verse 45, it says, and so it is written. What does that mean? What? It's already been written. Anytime you see as it is written or so it's been written or as it has been written, that means somewhere before then in the Word of God is referring back to a passage. Well, here is referring back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 7. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. The first Adam, it says, became a living soul. The, the last Adam, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. So to look at it, we need to go back to the beginning of the human race here for a minute. When God made man, he did something very unique. He did something totally different from what he did from the rest of creation. He formed Adam with his own hand. He, he fashioned Adam. As a matter of fact, that word formed is the same word that Isaiah uses in chapter 64 when he's talking about how the potter fashions the clay. So that, that's the form that God fashioned the body. He, he formed man. He fashioned that man into his own image. Everything else he simply spoke into existence. Everything else he said it and it was done. He, he thought it and it existed. But with man, he took time to fashion it in his own image. Now, with the animals, they, they just, they are. They are what they are. God made them. With man, when he took him, it says that he breathed into his nostrils. And that man became a living soul. 
not a living man. He breathed into his nostrils. See, when he made the animals, he made them with life in them. They, they were already alive. They were already there. And, and he gave them what, what we call instincts. They do not have a soul. They have animal instincts. Do you know why a bee acts like a bee? Because it's a bee. You know why he makes a hive? Because he's a bee. You know why they go out and gather and make honey out of stuff and pollen and stuff in the flowers? Because he's a bee. You know why he stings you if you make him mad? Because he's a bee. God made him to be a bee. It is his instinct to be a bee. He don't know how to be anything but a bee, so he's a bee. A horse is a horse because he's a horse. He don't know how to be anything else but a horse. He doesn't know how to think like a mule. He doesn't know how to think like a bird. He's a horse. A fish is a fish. They don't know anything different. They swim around. They eat things that are littler than them. They eat things that don't look edible. They're just a fish. A salmon swims upstream at a certain time of his life and jumps over the rapids and gets caught by grizzly bears and all that he does to get upstream so that they can spawn out their eggs and die. Their sole purpose of doing all that work to get up that river is to lay their eggs so they can die. I wouldn't be in quite that big a hurry to get up that stream. I'd have all kinds of excuses about how fast the water is and you can't get over the rocks and there's too many bears. I'd make excuses why I could go back down the river. Hold my eggs for another year and put off this dying thing. But they do it because it's their instinct. They, they don't know any different. They're, they're what they are because God made them that way. It is, it is their nature. An animal does what an animal does because it is what it is. And God made them that way. But when God created man, huh, he gave us mental powers. He gave us mental capabilities. Do you know it's said that no man alive ever uses more than 2% of their brain? Some of them, that's obvious by the way they drive. <laughs> and the way they talk. And the way they act. But the fact is, not Einstein, not Voltaire, not Beethoven, not Alexander Graham Bell. It's said that mankind doesn't use more than 2% of their brain. That means we got 98% of what we have now just waiting to be used. Adam had it. Adam was created with full function. Let me ask, could you name all the animals of the planet? He, he did it without a problem because he had full function. But that's, that's what's there. That's something that is waiting. We will have 98% of our mental capacity available, but we're going to be like him. After the resurrection, a lot of people talk about when I get to heaven, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to ask God why this and why that. And why. No, you're not. You're already going to know. When you see him, you shall be like him. And if you're like him, then you know the answers to your questions. You know why he allowed what he allowed. You see the glory and the goodness in all the things that you can't see the glory and the goodness in now. You see how something worked out for your good and for his glory that made no sense on either side of the coin in this lifetime. But we're going to understand things because we're going to think like him. So God gave us <coughs> mental capacities. He gave us <coughs> the capacities to choose, to think, to, to enjoy things of life, to to make decisions on a, on a daily basis. Sometimes we don't make the best ones, but he still gives us the right to make them. Animals don't have those things. Nocturnal, nocturnal animals, they go to bed when the sun comes up. Daytime animals, they get up when the sun comes up. Men, they sit and enjoy watching the sunrise. They, they know how to appreciate the beauty an animal 
doesn't have that. They don't, they don't have those things. They just do what they do. But with man, God didn't want puppets. He didn't make hand puppets. He made us in a way that we could make choices. He gave us the ability to think. So <clears throat> the soul is the person who inhabits the body. The soul is who we are. This soul is who you know. Your soul is who we know. This body is just what you see. But who we are is what God put on the inside. That is a living soul. The soul itself is deathless. I said the soul itself is deathless. The soul will never die. But for the children of God, on the resurrection, the soul and the body will be reunited into a glorified body that will live forever. we got something to look forward to. Though those who refuse the Lord Jesus will spend an eternity, the soul will never die, neither will the worm. Because it says the worm dieth not, neither will the punishment. They will feel as though they have all the faculties of their body. They'll feel the immense pain just as if they had their body. But they'll be forever without hope. But for us, y'all like it? Anybody got a smile on your face? But for us, there's a day coming when we'll be reunited at the resurrection. It was God's intention from the beginning that man be indwelt by the Holy Spirit just like Adam was. Adam was man as God intended for man to be. If he had just left that fruit alone. Yeah, it's kind of like we can all say if we'd have just left something alone, right? He was man as God intended for him to be until sin entered into the equation. But when the sin entered in, the Holy Spirit moved out. And that's why we have the term that they're lost or separated from God, separated by the Spirit, because the Holy Spirit lived inside of man when he was as he was until man said no to the Holy Spirit and said yes to sin. At that point, sin moved in and the Holy Spirit moved out. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, except you be born again, you, you shall not see the kingdom of God. He said, except a man be born again. And that's what he's talking about. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And that which is born of the flesh is flesh. We've already been born of the flesh. Everybody's born of the flesh. Except we be born of the Spirit, then, then we don't have that spiritual life. There's only one flaw here in it. We don't yet have our resurrected bodies. Romans chapter 8, Paul said in verse 22, We know that the whole congregation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. Once we get our resurrected bodies, the process will be complete and the process will be perfected. God had a plan from the very beginning. Sam wasn't, uh-oh. The fruit wasn't uh-oh. The failure wasn't uh-oh. The cross was in the beginning before the plan was ever started. Jesus already knew. God already knew. Jesus already saw himself on the cross a million years before he ever got to the cross. And they can already see a million years from now while we're still right here. And they can see both directions from where we are right now. There wasn't any uh-ohs in the plan. But when it's all done and the resurrection is completed then the plan is completed and we'll be reunited in our glorified bodies, which is what God intended for us to be in the first place. The Holy Spirit inhabited 
man. In contrast to man, Christ was made, it says in our text, with a quickening spirit. He had a perfect body that was fashioned by the Holy Spirit inside the womb of Mary. He didn't have the sin of Adam's seed. He was fashioned by the Holy Spirit. He was completely untainted by sin. Now, just like you and I, he had a body and he had a soul. He was completely human, yet fully divine. He was God manifest in the flesh of a human body. Just as much God, y'all know how it goes, as if he were another man, never man. Just as much man as if he were never God. He was a, a, a spirit. A spirit. He wasn't just inhabited by the Holy Spirit, but he was made, it says, a quickening spirit. He was man inhabited by God, and he was God inhabiting man at the same time. Explain that. Three letters. God. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 says, Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Down in verse number 14, it says, And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and of truth. Here in our text, Verse 47, and, and I'm done. Verse 47, the, the first man, it says, uh, the first man is of the earth, earthly. The second man is the Lord from heaven. In the resurrection, we're going to be just like Christ. We'll no longer be soul-oriented. We're going to be spirit-oriented. We're going to be spirit Filled, fully indwelled, fully led. The, the present attempts that we make, we want to walk in the center of God's will. We want to be in God's perfect will. We want to be pleasing to God. And we make these attempts to avoid sin and temptation. We make the attempts to try to be that. But in our resurrected body, that's going to be a reality. There will no longer be the presence of evil, only the presence of God. And unfortunately for those who make the wrong choice, there will never be the presence of God. To me, that would be the worst part of hell. Is to never feel the goodness of God again. But, but our nature, our, our personality, our intellect, our, our emotions, everything about us will never fail God again. Yeah, that probably means more to me than some of y'all because nobody said amen, about three of you. We won't never think nothing bad again. Yeah, there's four or five of us fell in that category. And the rest of them get a good laugh out of us. Man, how awesome is it going to be to not have to battle every stinking day against that good-for-nothing devil that just keeps throwing stuff up in your face, that just keeps putting temptations up, that, that just keeps putting offers before you that you know you can't have. The flesh desires them. Can I add that part? And the devil knows which ones you desire and which ones you don't. He won't bother tempting you with the ones that don't matter to you. 
He has a record of your whole life. He knows what bothers you. And at just the right time, just the right thing is going to rattle your chains. Isn't it going to be nice to never deal with that again? We get saved. The life-giving Spirit inhabits this temple. We have a Holy Spirit living in us. Thank God to help us. To, to give us a conscience, as we like to call it, to, to try to help us do right and steer us away from doing wrong. But the full potential of what we shall be waits for the day of the resurrection. When we see him, we shall be like him. we got a whole lot to look forward to. When things are bad here, we still got a lot to look forward to. Troubles come knocking on the door, we got a lot to look forward to. When it seems like hell moved into your house and there's a demon in every room you walk in, there's something to look forward to. When sickness comes knocking on your door or the door of your house or the door of your family, we've got a lot to look forward to. When the, when the bills can't get paid and the finances are upside down and, and, and marriage is failing and the children are out there running, living in the world, and it seems like the whole world is falling apart, we've got a whole lot to look forward to. There's a better day coming. And in that day, we're going to be like Christ. Amen. Well, I'm going to leave off right there, Lord willing. If Jesus tarries and we come here on another Wednesday night, we'll try to pick up right there and look at a few more changes that, that we're going to experience in the resurrection. For tonight, it's always good to say thank you. Um, we got just a few minutes before we got to get the kids. We can take just a few minutes and pray. Certainly tell the Lord thank you for all that he's done and for the prayers that he answered, the things that he answered that we asked right here on last Wednesday night that have been answered before we got to this Wednesday night. Certainly for the requests that were made, um, continue to pray for those, and we'll just expect the Lord to show up.
I just want to tell you thank you so much. God, thank you for your word. God, I do thank you for the law. If I didn't have the law, I wouldn't know right from wrong. God, I, I thank you for the teaching of the law. And I thank you for Paul's persistence, Lord, through 13 books of the New Testament. God, he gives the law in every book and, and how James and Peter gives it so boldly. But God, thank you also for the grace, God. Thank you for the outpouring of love, Lord. It's a love letter from in the beginning to amen, God. And I thank you for this book. I thank you for this word. God, I thank you for the enjoyment of studying it, God. Lord, I pray you take it. Let it be a blessing to each one of us, Father. May you give each person in this place a nugget, God, that we might take out. God, I pray as we leave this place, will you help us, Father, to be a blessing to others. I pray for the guys tomorrow, Lord, that are headed down to Talbots, and I pray you'd use them. God, I ask you to go before them. I ask you to go with them and keep a hedge of protection about them. But, God, I pray you'd anoint them with the Holy Spirit of God that they might get down there and be a blessing to somebody. And, God, it'd be our prayer that through adversity and through a storm that souls would be saved and lives would be changed. And, God, I pray you'd use them, help them to make a difference in the lives of others. May people see Christ in us in everything that we do, God. Lord, I pray you'd help us to be a blessing to our Jerusalem and down there in our Judea, God. And Lord, even into the uttermost parts of the earth, wherever you send us, God, I pray you'd help us, Father, to, to magnify Christ in all that we do. Lord, we love you, Father. You've been so good. We want to tell you thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.